Welcome to the Tuscarawas County Anti-Drug Coalition podcast, bringing you open and honest conversations about resources in Tuscarawas County. Now here's your host, Jody Salvo. Hi, this is Jody Salvo. Welcome to another podcast with the Tuscarawas County Anti-Drug Coalition. Today I have a friend, Huck Hart, and I think some of y'all might know him out in the community. Huck, um, Clearly has battled addiction in the past, but has been in recovery for how long? Coming up on 14 years, May 23rd. Awesome. 14. 14 years. That's awesome. Um, I know Huck has just been instrumental in the lives of so many people. Um, So I'm excited to hear a little bit about his story, a little bit about what he's doing today and how he can just offer hope for people that might still be struggling or have loved ones or you know, still really in, in the battle right now. So, Huck, I'm really glad you're here today. <laughs> Thanks, Jody. Thanks for having me. Very good to be here. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do right now in the community? Oh, uh, right now, uh, since the meetings are open back up, I do 12-step meetings about four a week. Now, when did the meetings start opening uh, back up again? They started opening up. Probably we started in the summer because we couldn't get in some of the churches. So we rented Dice Hill every Monday night. Okay. And we had great turnouts and that. Then gradually places started to let us come in. Okay. Because a lot of people wouldn't do the Zoom meetings on the internet. That's what kept me grounded, you know. How hard was the Zoom meetings for you? Zoom meetings ain't bad. I've spoke on them told my story yeah i've done discussions it's probably it was probably easier to do zoom if you've been in meetings for a while yeah, yeah you know yeah, then it yeah, just yeah because i know you do get more comfortable with them but i know even like in our own organization if you weren't part of the organization then you could try to jump on during covid and zoom life it was harder because you yeah. didn't have those relationships or comfort. exactly yeah i got zoomed out doing the zoom <laughs> i'm with you right yeah, now yeah so. yeah Okay, so you guys are back meeting in We're, person. Uh, meetings are open back up. Some of them still closed. Some churches won't let you in yet, but there's some in Philly and Dover. It's open. They're good meetings, 12-step meetings through Alcoholics Anonymous. And there's Monday and Friday night, Legacy Church, 8 p.m. Okay. Uh, Thursday nights, Dover Memorial Hall at 8 p.m., Sunday night, St. John's, 7 p.m. in New Philly. Do you have a list of all the groups? Yes. How about you send me that list, and we'll post it on the ADC okay. Facebook page when we're the, done. The page I got's got even the faith-based meetings. That's it. awesome. Even the other day, I get calls every okay. once in a while of, hey, okay. where's a meeting on such okay. and such night? So that will be super helpful. So for anyone out there, we'll post meeting times on okay. the Facebook page. Okay. Cool. Very yep. good. Yep. So, what else, Huck? Do you you go to the prisons? Uh, since the pandemic hit, we ain't been in the jails and prisons for over a year and a half now. I miss doing that. And I bet people miss you yeah. being in there. Yeah. It's fun going into county jails, our local county jails. I started doing that at 10 months sobriety. Okay. And I continue to clear up until... For like 13 years you've been yeah, doing that. Yeah, So it's awesome going in there, you know. I see people from my past. Okay. And people from my past kids and that, you know. 
So when you're able to see people in the jail or often you're able to connect them. So whenever they're, I do the best of my ability in that, you know, them people help me more than I help them. Cause I know if I pick a drink and a drug up, I can be in them striped suits or orange suits or, you know. Sure. So day by day, just still very committed to recovery. Yeah. I live one day at a time. Stay in the moment. Yesterday's history. Tomorrow's a mystery. Today's a gift, you know. Awesome. I need to remember that. Yeah. Sometimes you take that for granted, yeah, don't you? Yeah. Well, Huck, how about let's start a little bit about your story. Okay. Um, just kind of. Okay. Uh, my name is Huck Hart. I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic drug addict. My sobriety date's May 23rd, 2007. It's only by the grace of God. 12-step program. I have a sponsor who has a sponsor, who has a sponsor. <laughs> and between them three guys, there was over 100 years sobriety. Wow, you know? So that's they awesome. were given to me what was given to them, you know, and I pass it on to the new people, the people that's willing to go for recovery. And, Huck, I, I've known you from a distance for a long time, and I know you are someone that is willing to just invest in anyone oh, that, yeah. that's in need of help. So I, I know that reputation yeah. precedes you, that you're just a willing person. Yeah, in the helping rec- others keeps me sober, you know, one day at a time. Cool. Okay. So I was born and raised in Denison, Ohio. Came from a loving, caring family. My mom stay home, housewife, kept, uh, you know, our clothes clean, the beds, meals, three meals a day. My dad worked a 40-hour week job. He is the mayor of Denison for pretty close 20 years, you know. So you're showing a pretty intact family. Yeah, so I got an older sister, four years older than me. I can say she's an earthling. She's one of them people that could have a couple drinks and not do it again for five, six months, you okay. know. I don't know how them people do it, you know, but I don't take your inventory neither, you know. <laughs> so I'm gr- sure there's other things. Oh, well, yeah. I got something. I grew up Catholic, so I knew there was a God out there. I knew there was a power greater than me because I'd see my mom, aunts, uncles pray for people and see them get better, come out of hospitals, you know, get their health back together. And so... I never really started using until I was 12 years old. Well, 12 still really young. Yeah. Uh, I became a liar, cheater, and a thief at age 12. So, Huck, what got you started at the age of 12? I was just curious, I guess, you know, trying to fit in. Were you hanging out with kids your own age or older kids? Some of them were three, four years older than me and that, you know, and We'd, we'd go in people's garage and steal beer out of the room. So let me just ask, because I kind of want to get to that early substance use. Um, where were, where did you connect with these older guys? Like, were in the neighborhood? Yeah, um, neighborhood, you know. Like basketball courts, base, the baseball fields. And that, you know. The reason I'm kind of hanging on there a little bit, I think for parents, you just need to be really mindful with younger kids, and, and I'm going to say in local communities when you're all on one street or one block, a lot of times you have mixing of ages, yes, yes. and you just need to be very aware of well, that, yeah. what a 12-year-old should be doing and what a 16-year-old or 18-year-old yeah. 
is very different, you know? So sometimes you just feel like, I know this kid, he grew up here, yeah. but music views on relationships. It all really varies. So just yeah. a parenting tip, keep your eyes open yeah, for yeah, those yeah. kind of relationships. Like for me, it started out just on the weekends, Okay, you know, sleeping out with friends and that we'd be on adventures going in people. We know the older guys that, Hung out in their garages. We knew they had beer in their garage. Okay. And we'd help we'd, yourself. We'd break in them, you know, basically, you know, and help ourselves, yeah. you know, and we'd dabble at it. But at age 12, I became dual addicted right on. I started, right away. I started smoking marijuana. Okay. Then the marijuana stayed pretty much every day of the week, you know, because as long as you had money and you went to somebody at Delt, marijuana if you had the money they sold it to you you know you didn't need an id with them yeah and i also think for listeners to hear that it's very easy to access still is that hasn't changed and i don't know if people that haven't initiated dabbled in substance use realize how easy it is for young people to get their hands on substances and i'm sure it's probably Easier today. It's yeah. a lot easier today than it was, you know. Even since I got sober, it's, yeah. it's more plentiful now, yeah. too. So, 12, alcohol, the marijuana, yeah. smoking cigarettes, too. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. It all yeah. just kind of yeah. came together. <laughs> <laughs> Hand and foot, you know, yeah, yeah. And that's how, you know, like I said, it's basically just drinking on the weekends, you know. But as I got older... Got in junior high and the high school, Friday night football games and that. We'd find an older person and we'd all throw our money, get some beer. Now, at those ages, when did you start having problems with it? Like, did your friend group change? Yeah, your yeah. I started, I was like a chameleon. I could go okay. with the, you know, the people that were didn't party and that, you know. My parents kept me active okay. from an early age. You know, I raced motocross, took martial arts, I played baseball, I played football and that, you know. But as time went on, I quit doing things, you know, because instead of the weekends, I'd dabble, you know, yeah. through the week, maybe have some drinks and that. And that's when we're looking <laughs> into someone's life. You can kind of see those signs of addiction yeah. happening when it changes your normal. Yeah. You know, yeah. when your friend group change, when your activities, when your interests, when that all changes. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's kind of when you can. Yeah, kind of like my dad. He'd see me with some of these people, you know, and he'd always say, you shouldn't be hanging with them people, you know. He said, you know, you're hanging with a bad crowd, you yeah. know. and. You know, as a kid, you didn't really, you know, care what they said, yeah. you know. And, but I became that person to probably a lot of people in their life, you know. You shouldn't hang with him, yeah. you know. Because at 16 and 17, I did get consequences kind of started. What kind of stuff? Uh, I got caught drinking in a few joints. The first time I got caught, they took my license for 30 days. Second time, same things happen. I lost license for 60 days. The third time, 
Were you realizing you have a problem yet? No, no. I didn't think I had a problem. I always you, ask people you know, that question. Everyone's like, no. That's when Judge Demas was the judge okay. back in the day, you know, and he said, you might be having a problem, you know. I ain't got a problem, you know. Mm. So, you know, things just progress as time goes on. I mean, through high school, it came to the only sport I played for four years, high school baseball. I lettered varsity in baseball four years in a row. Okay. I had great opportunities to move higher into baseball, okay. you know, like I had teams that wanted me to come and play for them. And I just, you know, priority I was, was to the point I was 18 and things were progressing okay. fast and quick. You know, I quit smoking weed at age 18 and never touched it again. Now why? Well, I got turned on to cocaine and methamphetamines. Okay. And I've done that for the next 30 years uh, pretty much on a daily basis. So you said what, what drugs do you go to? Cocaine and methamphetamines. Okay. Meth. Yeah. Okay. And they became, you know, because they made you drink more. And if you were, you know, you could last longer. You could stay up a whole weekend right. and just drink and, you know, put them substance in your body and keep going, you know. And... So that was 18? 18, yeah. That's you, first, uh, that's what I started getting more consequences at 18, too, you know. Uh, first half dozen times I went to jail, my own dad put me in jail. Mm. As but just going, you know, getting sober, working the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, my dad was still trying to teach me right from wrong. Yeah. But at the time, I didn't know that, you know. Right, right. He was on my resentment. When yeah. I did my step work, you know, but today I understand why he did what he sure. did, you know. As a parent, you love your kid and. I, yeah, yeah. There's no owner's manual there, no, you know, how no, do you figure no. that one out? So, so I can just kind of tell you, I started at age 12. It started light, but it progressive and gets worse and worse day by day as it goes on. For almost next 36 years, wow. I drank and drugged, you know. I walked into treatment two months before I turned 48 years old. I can tell you I ain't proud of my past. I do not regret the past or wish to shut the door on it, you know. But that's where alcoholism and addiction took me to sure. places. So, can I just ask real quick? Yeah. Um, did you have history of addiction in your family? Uh, my dad's side of the family, there was, you know, some, some of his nephews and that were in Vietnam. They became heroin addicts, and when they came back to, you know, Tuscarawas County, you know, yeah, they were still doing heroin. It's just always fascinating yeah. to me that there's really no rhyme or reason why one person struggles with addiction yeah. and some doesn't. You know, yeah. a lot of times you'll see trauma and stuff in life, and sometimes you'll see you know, a history of addiction yeah, in a family, yeah, but then you also yeah, get these stories yeah. where, where this come from, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And like you said, it was pretty much right away. Oh that yeah, you had yeah. Yeah. Issue. So through damn 36 years, you know, my dad started putting consequences, juveniles, then 18. He, uh, I've had a total of 32 felonies, 42 misdemeanors. <sighs> 32 I've, felonies. I've been on uh, probation 20 years of my life. I've overdosed and died three times. I, 
Yeah. I know about Narcan. This was before it's popular like it is right, today, right. but I've had a total of 13 doses that put in my system, paddles on me to bring me back. Wow. That, Clearly God and had a purpose yeah, for you. And today, you know, I put Narcan in people, you know. So I'm grateful to things I do today, you know. Like I said, it's only by the grace of God, you know. And I'm doing what I'm doing today. Well, I love that your heart goes into the prisons and the jails. Yeah, I like doing that stuff to prison. Well, you have a voice other people don't. See, I've been in two different prisons. I became a heroin addict in prison. Okay. So, you know, I took the problem with me wherever I went. I didn't know I was the problem until I got sober. I had a little old lady. She had about 52 years sobriety. And uh, as I had a meeting one night, I probably only had 20 days sobriety, you know. And she said, do you know what the problem is? And I said, yeah, alcohol and drugs. <laughs> and she said, no. So she got her little makeup mirror out. Them little round ones they had, she cleaned the mirror off, and she handed me it. And she said, look, what do you see? I said, I see me. She said, that's the problem. And wow. it makes sense, you know. Right. Because through addiction, I couldn't look in a mirror. At the end of my addiction, I busted all the mirrors out of my house in two different bathrooms because I didn't like that person I seen. Wow. Did you do that after she said that to you? No, this oh, was before. I didn't know through addiction. She showed me that okay. once I hit treatment. And okay, went to meetings and that you know. So, them old timers, yeah. So you know, I've been in the hospital over two dozen times from direct result of alcoholism, and that you know, I went as far as January '07 playing Russian roulette. Put wow. a bullet in a revolver, spun the cylinder, put it to my head, pulled the trigger, and it clicked. And I'd done it a total of five more times after oh my that. Goodness, and it clicked every time. So I continued to drink and drug. Then I walked out on my deck, and I put the bullet to the hammer and pulled that hammer and pulled that trigger, and that gun fired. That day there, I knew God was doing for me what I could not do for myself. That's January of 07. Okay, I got goosebumps on that one, Hawk. My <laughs> yeah. goodness. But uh, before that happened, my kid called me December 17th of 06, and he told me, he told me you're a grandpa. He said, would you like to come to Union Hospital and see your granddaughter? I said, yeah, I'll be right there. I never seen my granddaughter for a total of, uh, I never seen her until May 11th of 07. And this was December 17th of 06. That little girl there, she's a big part of my surprise. Thanks for sharing that, Huck. I know it's hard. Yeah. But, yeah, that that young girl, well, she ain't young no more. She's about turned 14 years old in December, you know. So she never, ever seen me under the influence of alcohol or drugs. So, you know, that's a God thing there, you know. Yeah. 
So that I tried to play Russian roulette, that failed. Now, Huck, when you were at the point of attempting to commit suicide, was that because life was just so bad, you couldn't stop, you wanted yeah, to stop? I was more afraid to live than I was to die. Okay. You know, I was sick and tired of being sick and tired, you know. I had judges, POs telling me, you know, you got a problem, you know. I had law enforcement tell me, you know, there's meetings for people like you, you know. Yeah. And when I was in prison when I was 32, I did go to a meeting one night because my Sally, he'd always go to him. Okay. And he'd say, there's 12-step meetings, he said, and they bring donuts from the outside and coffee. So that's that's why I went to it. I didn't go there to get sober, you know, because okay. I'd done heroin right before I went to it, you know, and I'm in the penitentiary, you know. Mm. People's like, how do you d- get drugs in the prison? I said, there's just much drugs in them places there is out of here. Wow. I mean, it's hard to believe, but there is, you know, and. You know, life, once addiction gets a hold of you, it's got you by the throat. It's a beast. It's out to kill you and move on to the next person, you know. Yeah. Alcoholism and addiction don't discriminate. It don't yeah. care who you are, what walk of life you came from. I don't care if your parents are a millionaire, you're, you know, yeah. low-income family, middle, high-class you know, if it gets a hold of you, it's out to get you. That's one of the reasons we have these podcasts, yes. because we know mm-hmm. that if there's anything we can do to help, it's to yeah. break a stigma around oh, yeah. addiction, yeah. you know. And and I love when we have people on, our guests, because you hear stories and yeah. they're all similar. Yeah. And they're all really different, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and you can see they're there is. Yeah, it's a yeah. non-discriminator. It's all, all ages, yeah, yeah. all races, all yes, cultures. Because alcohol, alcoholism and addiction, they're both a disease. They both fit the definition of a disease. Yeah. They're progressive, chronic, and untreated. They'll kill you. Yeah. It don't matter, you know, if you're just an alcoholic, you're just a drug addict. It's like playing Russian roulette, you know. Yeah. So uh, I had POs. I got, in August 206, I got caught a case, got put on a probation. I had three years probation to do. Uh, I didn't really listen to the POs, you know. I was living life on Huck's terms, yeah. you know. Today I live life on God's terms. It's That's his awesome. will, not mine, you know. So <clears throat> uh, they, they, uh, I kind of told uh, Judge Hillier, I'll be forever grateful for mm. him. And uh, Doug Dunlap, he was my uh, PO, and Jared Wade, who's no longer with us, okay. he passed away. But they tried to get me in three treatment centers, but these treatment centers wouldn't, because addiction and alcoholism took a role on me. By this time, I'm 118 pounds. I only got 23% of my heart left. Oh, wow. And... Blood's coming out of my mouth, out of the front, and out of the back of me. That that was going on for about two years, and I never shared that with nobody until I got sober. Little did I know, you know, my liver and everything was just disintegrating, you know, inside. And today, I can tell you, I've had them checked, and, you know, there is a power out there. Absolutely. 
And I choose to call that power of God, you know. And I'll be forever grateful. So, you know, that was on my resentment list. I, uh, I went to a detox in Canton, Ohio, to Crisis Center. Okay. I was supposed to be there on a Friday. I didn't make it there until Sunday. I took too many wrong turns, you know. <laughs> a couple was, detours. It was all about me because I was selfish and self-centered, yeah. you know. I thought the world revolved around me. And when I went in there that Sunday, they said, you're supposed to be here Friday. We got a bed. And I'd like to tell you, that's when my journey of recovery began. But I used the whole time in there because they never really... They searched my bag, you had my it stuff, on. but I had it on my possession, you know. Yeah. So I had enough with me to last. I finally seen a psychiatrist and a doctor on a Wednesday, and they read my paper from my intake and that. And uh, see, by this time, I learned how to cook heroin, meth, and cocaine together and smoke it. And... So this guy, he he read that, and he said, you're doing some toxic stuff, you know. And, you know, yeah. I just was, I guess, a punk from Tuscarawas County, and I just kind of <laughs> laughed, you know. And uh, he said, that's some toxic stuff. He said, when's the last time you drank? And I said, Sunday, because they told me to get honest, so I did. He said, well, when's the last time you smoked this stuff? And I told him 10 minutes ago. So they kicked me out, you know, uh, and, you know, I got a resentment. I didn't know it was a resentment. I just knew I got mad and angry because I wanted help and, you know, right. but yeah, I did. I wanted to stop, but I didn't know how, you know, today I understand there is no human power out there can relieve us from yeah. alcoholism or addiction, you know, yeah. God couldn't would if he were sought. And that's a hundred percent truth, you know, so yeah, there's a lot. When I did a four-step, you know, it's an inventory of your lifestyle. you got to get rid of that garbage okay. and baggage. There was places like that, probation officers, my parents, you know. So do you think deep-seated you wanted to stop? And yeah. so every time it wasn't on your terms, it you were frustrated you, with that Yes, 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 barrier. yes. And, you know, so... I got kicked out of there, you know, and I just kept going and going and going. They already called the courts and told them, you know. I was supposed to report, and it took me like three days to go down there, you know, because I was ashamed, you know. I failed, you know, because I asked for the help. So I ended up, it would have been the end of April, the first few days of May of '07. I ended up getting pink slipped, and, okay. and they took me to Chagrin Falls, Windsor Hospital. You know, I'm in an ambulance going. Now, were you pink slipped because suicidal? Yeah, stuff at yeah, that point? yeah. Because okay. I, you know, I just wanted help, so I told him I was going to blow okay. my head off. You know, I, I was desperate at this time. I wanted to tap out. You know, yeah. I wanted to stop. You know, but I had no clue how to do it. You know, yeah. So. I'm in an ambulance. We get up there, and they get me out of that. I got doped down in the sock of my boot, you know, a bunch of rocks. And 
I looked at this building, and it just looked like something from a Stephen King movie, you know. And I thought, wow, what did I get myself yeah. into, you know. So they take me in, and these two little old women, they did my assessment and that. Then these two big dudes came and got me and was taking me to my room. When we went in, it was co-ed because that night they put girls on one side and guys, okay. then they lock the doors okay. so they can't do that he and, and she and stuff, right, right you know so uh you know these people's been there a couple weeks you know they're getting clean they're watching a movie they're laughing they're happy and i'm getting angry because i think they're laughing at me and stuff you know and these guys are like no they're just they got a little bit of clean time they're enjoying the movie yeah. it's probably something you don't know about and I remember looking at them two guys and said, you know what? I don't love myself, so I don't love nobody else, you know. I had so much hate in me because my life pretty much revolved around attitude, anger, rage, and violence, you know. Okay. That, that's what I became, you know. I became that beast, you know. I, it's so fun knowing you because I don't yeah. see a trace of yeah. any of that in who you are. It's see, almost hard to. Like at, when me and Eric Fredrickson, we did my uh, live feed, I told him when I was a little kid, I had a dream what I wanted to be when I got older. And it wasn't an alcoholic and a drug addict, you know. But, you know, we just take the wrong road, you sure. know. I don't blame my addiction on nobody but me, you know. Yeah. At the time, it was everybody else's fault. I used to curse God. I found out, you know, I thought I put God up on a shelf at an early age, you know, because I yeah. knew there was a God. But I'd curse him all the time, you know, and I just didn't want nothing to do with him. Yeah. But when I... Started reading the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. I found out what the problem was through my lack of power was my dilemma, you know. Yeah. I didn't have a power. I only had my power yeah. and alcohol and drugs, you know. Today, I can say I got a power, you know. So back at that Windsor Hospital, I was there for seven days. They, I had that dope. I had my roommate's drawer instead of mine that okay. way if they searched our room and they found it he is getting kicked out <laughs> i was getting to stay see damn are the things i did i got to see him when we were walking down the hall to our my room and his room they, he was in this little room about this size sitting in a rocker rocking watching tv but the tv wasn't on he was laughing they said that's your roommate and i thought man what did i get myself into you because you couldn't escape his place. Okay. Bars on the window when you went outside. It was, you know. Locked facility. Wire, you know, fence, chain link fence, 15 feet high with razor wire around the top. So you couldn't get out, you know. Yeah. You were in there. So I put my stuff away, put my dope in his drawer, and I got one of them little white cups. I, got, I can tell you what the Thorazine shuffle's about. Trazodone, Seroquel, Kalatapins, and stuff like that, you know, because that was stuff I didn't do in addiction because it, you know, made you like a zombie. So today I, I understand why they did that so I didn't go into seizures and stuff, you know, but deep in my mind I knew I had 
my drugs in my room, but I was just so medicated, I couldn't do it. The day I left there, they take me home. They drop me off in front of my house. As soon as I go in my house, I'm open a bottle of 151 rum, drinking, hitting a pipe, eating painkillers, and I'm supposed to go right to see Dunlap and them. Yeah. And I went and seen them three hours later. They drug tested me, breathalyzed me. I blew numbers. I tested for opiate, cocaine, methamphetamines. Wow. And, you know, and they're, they knew I was clean for seven days. And that's when they told me we found a place in Canton, Ohio. You can go Wednesday. It's called the Phoenix House. Okay. And... I started making them excuses that alcoholics and addicts do. I said, well, I can't go because from mid-December, even when I left for treatment, I had no water, no electric, nothing. I can tell you what it's like, go two months and never take a shower, hmm. wash your clothes or nothing. I, I always share this in the meetings when I speak. They invented Febreze for me because <laughs> I'd buy it and spray my clothes so so they didn't stink, you know. Yeah. And, you know, I can laugh about that stuff today, but at the time, time that was I, didn't, the reality. I didn't laugh, you know. So I said, no, I can go on Friday. Then I couldn't get nobody to give me a ride. My P.O.'s wouldn't, Hillier wouldn't, my mom wouldn't, my son wouldn't. And I was thinking, how am I going to get there? Because I don't got a car no more. I don't got my Harley no more. I ain't got... Nothing. I used to say I lost that stuff. I gave that stuff away for addiction. Mm. You know, I'll hear people say, I lost this. We don't lose nothing. We give. We choose to give it away to feed that beast inside us. So uh, my neighbor is the one who ended up taking me to treatment. Okay. So it was Thursday night. I was leaving Friday morning. And my drugs were running low, and I was running out of money because I had to buy this stuff to take to treatment, like shampoo, toothpaste, deodorant. Yeah. I didn't buy that stuff. I didn't, you know, I was taking away money buying booze, you know. Right. So addiction's a vicious cycle, you know. I mean, I don't like, like everybody in the rooms, every one of us, our stories are different. Everybody consumed different mm -hmm. quantities of alcohol, drugs, you know. Like I can sit here and tell people I've never had a DUI. Okay. I've never stuck a needle of myself in my arms. But I did, I stuck a needle in a lot of people's yeah. arms as far as their juggler veins and everything, you know. But after I got sober, I was thinking, man, I could have killed that person, you know. I, I ain't know, you know, yeah. somebody that works at the lab in the hospital or a doctor that does that stuff, you know. I was just a, a junkie, you know, yeah. an alcoholic junkie. And so that morning I got up. I had seven grams of that toxic stuff left. I had four Oxycontin 80s. I had a pint of 151 and six tall boys. 
So I knew we were going over to my mom's. So I ate the Oxycontins, every one of them, you know, because okay. I didn't want booze on my breath going over to my mom's and that. My nieces, nephews, my sister, my son, his wife, his stepson, and that little granddaughter I told you about, and my mother. She is wild. Bless her heart. (laughs) But anyway, I went there, you know, and they're all giving me hugs, telling me they love me, and that, you know. Then it comes to my mom. She is like about four foot five, full blown Italian, and. Mean as, a, <laughs> mean as a snake, man. That woman's hit me with snow shovels, baseball bats, cast iron, you know. But I deserve it, you know. I deserved it growing up, you know. I drove her, you know. I know her prayers got me where I'm at today, you know. So she was the last one. You know, they were telling me they all loved me, and I didn't say that word because that word, I didn't love him. I didn't love myself, yeah. you know. Only thing I loved was getting numb, running yeah. from the feelings, running from responsibilities. That's what alcohol and drugs do to you. And she came, and she's like, Huck, if you can't quit drinking or drugging, I hope you die. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, when I was in the hospital January of 07, I don't know if it was an overdose, girls threw me out. ER and uh, my vascular surgeon, family doctor, and my cardiologist was there. That's what caused me to play Russian roulette. Okay. Because I lit a big rock up in the hospital and blew smoke everywhere, and they came in. So, yeah, I thought I could do whatever I want wanted I wanted. Like I said, I was living life on Huck's terms. Yeah. Today, like I said, I live life on God's terms. terms. It's his will, not mine. So she, my mom said that the doctors kind of one that told me to go play Russian roulette that night. I had a judge tell me they wanted to see me in a pine box, you know. Then my mom tells me this, you know. So, you know, it ain't working yet because all I'm thinking about is the dope in my pocket and that pint in the car and six tall boys. So yeah. we leave there, and I didn't get I'm in the passenger seat. I didn't get 10 foot from my mom's, and I'm cracking the bottle open because I needed a drink, you know, because I had them shakes yeah. going on. And off to Canton, Ohio, I went to the Phoenix House. I'll be forever grateful for the Phoenix House. I really and truly will. Uh, when I walked in there, yeah, I smoked a whole quarter ounce of that toxic stuff, you know, ate them Oxycontins, a pint, Six tall boys, but I walked in. I remember they said, You must be Huck. And I said, Yeah, I'm Huck and I don't give a. And I'm leaving it there, you know, yeah, just, yeah. just let it rhyme out, you know, because yeah. that's how I was, you know. And they did me an assessment and that. They gave me, I remember them giving me three fitted sheets, three sheets, three pillowcases, and three blankets. Said, what do I need all this for? And they said, just hang on, you'll <laughs> see. I got to find out, you know. What uh, detoxing was like, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Mercy Hospital saved a bed open for me for seven days because the crisis center up there wouldn't take me back. Even though I was in treatment, they didn't want nothing to do with me. 
but I didn't have to go to Mercy, you know, because uh, that was May 11th of 07. Like I said, my sobriety date's May 23rd, so you know I took the problem with me, yep, you yep. know. And uh, I'll never forget May 21st, May 22nd. That's when I relapsed, you know. Okay. And I went back out for 23 and a half hours, you know. And it, it was all bad, you know. An ounce of crack cocaine, half gallon of Jack Daniels, under a bridge, you know. Did Just, someone find you there? No. I, I was there 23 and a half hours, and there was another guy with me. He is from Cincinnati, but he is in the Phoenix. He got a workers' comp settlement. Okay. So he asked me at the house, he's like, hey, can you get any crack cocaine? You know anybody up here? And I said, oh, yeah, I can do that, you know. Yeah. And uh, he counted all this money out, you know, and I made a phone call. I The house uh, manager and the owner of the house, they just went to lunch. So I took my driver's license, broke in their office, because you can jimmy the doors, just to use the telephone, you know. So I called Highland Park in Canton and that, talked to some people I knew and told them what I wanted. It's like, get here. Okay. So I ran out, told him, we got two minutes. The bus is going to pull in front of them starter buses. Yeah. So that's how we had to travel to get there so quick. And He's like, I'll give you one of them, and I'll buy you a half gallon. So he went and got that, and I went up to Highland Park, and we met. It was on, you know, and 23 and a half hours. And when I told God, you know, just let me party, when that gun, I fired it off of my deck, I, that was the first time I talked to God for a long time, other than cursing him, telling yeah. him, you know, it's his fault, I'm in this jackpot. Uh, we went under the bridge, from the first drink, first hit, it felt like my head was splitting open. I kept saying, the next one's going to make it stop. And it never stopped for 23 and a half hours. And I looked at him because I was, everything was gone, you know. And I said, I'm going to the house. I can't live this way no more. And he said, if I go back, he said, I'm, I'm looking at 25 to 50 years, you know. And I said, you do what you got to do. So I took off and. He came running after I was 100 yards. He said, I'm going back. So he got his cell phone and called him, told him we were coming back. When we got back, it was all bad for him because there was sheriffs, Canton mm. sheriffs, Stark County sheriffs, yeah. and the Canton cops, unmarked cars, his parole officers. I just watched him shackle and, you know, handcuff him. He's still in the penitentiary today, wow. you know. Uh, he don't know when he's getting out. I usually get a letter from him about every three months. You know, he's still trying to apologize for that day there, you know. And when I write him back, I always say, yeah, it ain't nothing on you, you know. You didn't throw me on the ground. You didn't pour that booze in me or put that shooter in my mouth with that rock on it. I was willing to do yeah. it, you know, because that was my life, you know. I knew that would make him shakes go away. So uh, they hold him off. They called Judge Hillier, and I was looking at 120 days. And 
he just pretty much told him, you know, he's in Stark County now. He's out of Tuscarawas County. I've been told by a lot of judges as a minister to society, you know, and right. that's just where addiction took me, you know. So Larry and Dirk, Larry was the owner. Dirk was the house manager. They gave me another chance. It's like 4 o'clock in the afternoon on the 22nd. So I get a shower, and I just go to bed, you know. I wake up the next morning, which is May 23rd, and I always seen my roommate. He'd pray. He'd be on his knees and pray, and he had two devotion books he read in the morning, Daily Reflection and 24-Hour Book. So I hit my knees and did the hardest thing I ever did in my life. I said, please, God, help me. Mm. And I read them two devotion books for that day there, Something happened that morning. I was lay. I shut the lights out and laid down because we were in a basement room. We didn't have no windows, so it was dark, you know. And I laid on the bed after I did some praying and reading them because they said meditate after yeah. you did all that stuff. So I did, you know, and I had my eyes closed, and I remember seeing a, this light. I thought it was the sheriff yeah. coming and getting me with big flashlights because I know what that's about, you know being in a stupor and they shine lights yeah. in your eyes, you see them. But when I opened up, nothing was there, you know. And I jumped up crying. I ran up out of the basement and out on the deck. And there was some old-timers doing step works with guys from the house. And they're like, he had a spiritual experience, you know. I didn't know what it was, yeah. you know. That was God stepping inside me. I'd like to say the journey was easy from there on out, but every morning I'd get up, I'd pray, I'd read his books until I bought my own. And uh, I wanted to get high and I wanted to get drunk. I'm sure. I mean, the house I was at was right in the middle of the hood. If you walked the speedway to get a pop or a pack of smokes, there was drug dealers on the corners trying to sell you dope, you know, but... After that day there, you know, I'd walk by maybe wanting to sell you heroin or crack cocaine or some pills. I'd just keep cruising, you know, even though at first thought in the morning, I won't get high and drunk, you know. Uh, I got a sponsor up there. I met some wonderful old timers. My sponsor I had, his name was John Akers. He no longer lives there. He moved to Hilton Head. For him. South Carolina, <laughs> him and his wife both retired from uh, Goodyear. So, you know, they were good people. And he picked this blind guy up from Maslin all the time, Joe Rudolph. I know he won't. We just lost him about three years ago, four years ago, 60 years sobriety. And that, that guy there, man, I used to try to make excuses to him. You know, they'd pick me up. We'd go to the meetings. I'd say, I'd done too much drugs to be here. And he said, no, no, no. He said, these new people coming in, you're going to help them more than us old-timers are going to help them. But at the time, it didn't make sense, you know. He bought me my first big book. And uh, when they dropped me off the house, he handed me this book. And he said, when you get in there, open that book and read the first three words. So I went in and read them. 
But the whole time from the car to the house, I'm thinking, what's a blind guy know about a book, you know? <laughs> but I got to, because every Sunday, me, him, and my sponsor, we'd go to McKinney Park. If it was raining, we'd go to Maslin to his house. I found out what a blind guy knows about a big book about colleagues anonymous. I'll be forever grateful for that man. I didn't know nothing about Braille. I was too deep in addiction yeah. to know stuff like that. If we was at his house, he had the CDs of the big book, and we'd follow him in our book stop, and we'd, you know, talk about it. You know, they took me through the 12 steps, my sponsor and that, Joe, and I didn't even know I went through the 12 steps yeah. of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, until I was supposed to have been there in 90 days. They called me on my 70th day. He said, Huck, we need your bed. You're going home on Saturday. That would have been July the 21st. That scare you? Yeah, because the whole time people said you got to change people, places, and things. People, places, and things. I heard that and heard and that. Denison's not that big. <laughs> no, Denison and Yurigsville. My house was in Yurigsville, you know. Okay. And uh, my house was a big dope house, too, you know. Okay. So I knew there was demons inside that house. So... It all worked out, you know. That Saturday came. I had someone picking me up at one in the afternoon and back to T County. I was coming. The closer we got, the faster my heart was pounding, you know. When they pulled me up in front of my house, you know, that's when reality really hit me, you know. Because I remember him saying, one out of ten people will recover, you know. I thought, man, I'm back here, you know. So that's a Saturday. It's about 2.30 in the afternoon. So I went in and I uh, put my stuff away. And I had power. I had electric and stuff, you know. So that, that was a miracle because I didn't have lights in that house when I left. And for, you know, since... December of 06. So I even got to take a shower in my shower. Then I had to go up to the courthouse because uh, Doug was there and Jared was there and that. So I went up. They breathalyzed me and gave me a urine test. And that first time they see me uh, pass yeah. one of them in many, 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 many moons, you know. And I, I told him, you know, they, there was money on the table. They had a bet. And I was, one of them said I was going to be dirty. I think it was Jared. I don't yeah. know. And, but he had, Doug ended up with $40. all <laughs> I know, you know. So I know they betted, you know, Jared, because Jared was a lot younger, you okay. know. And, but I went back home. So that was your first success right that there. That was my first success, you know. And there was a Yurikville meeting at 8 p.m., you know, and I knew – it's like 6.30, and I thought, man, i got to venture, but this is when the uh, crazy start hitting the streets, and I ain't got a car. Okay. So I'm going through people's yards, going down alleys, just like I did in full-blown addiction, you know. And I get to the meeting, and uh, I go up in there, and little did I know, I sat by the guy that was going to be my sponsor, you know, Danny No Ellis. coincidence there, huh? no. God's got a sense of humor, you know. So I'm at that meeting. I'm starting to get, you know, phone numbers because I got sober in Stark County. All my 
support was up there, you know. So I got to rebuild, you know. But I knew how to do it, you know. So I shared with these people, you know, what I was about, who I was. I just got out of treatment, you know. And uh, that Danny, he said, yeah, I knew I knew you was coming home because I met two guys from Tuscarawas County at a meeting, Sunday morning meeting, Denny Cassidy and uh, Brad Reese. Denny's no longer with us. He got killed about four years ago. He worked on semis over by the truck stop, and he was under a truck, and the truck driver backed up, and it was all bad. But uh, I'm grateful for them guys, you know. And so I'm back two weeks after I'm here. I asked that Danny to be my sponsor because my sponsor up there, he said, you're down there, I'm up here. I want you to get someone close, you okay. know. So I did, and it was a blessing because I started, you know, man, there's demons in my house. They're telling all these old-timers, and, that, and they said, you're the only demon in it. Because, mm. see, people knew I was home, and they're beating on my door. I'm looking out a peak hole or peeking out mini blinds. Because I had a bathroom facing the front. So you bed. really had to shield yourself yeah, from. Yeah, I had to. They told me to change people. But there was some times I put my hand on the doorknob was going to open it because I seen bags of heroin. I seen bags of meth. I seen pills, you know, when they, I'd look out that paper. Wow. But I did not. God kept me from opening that door because I still wanted to get high every morning before I prayed, you know. So... I got to the point I got to sell my house, you know. Okay. So my sponsor, he ends up buying it, him and my, and I moved in a little efficiency. I mean, little. Had a living room, a kitchen, and a bathroom. <laughs> but I never got high there. I never partied there. That makes sense. So I, I started to get a little peace. When they told me I had to clean up, you know, change a lot of things, you know, I had a, I called in a, Kimball's and got a big dumpster and everything that was in my house, my living room set, my dining room set, my bedroom set, all went in there. Because you literally needed I no had, association. I had with to them. get rid of everything, you know. I mean, it was, you know, it was yeah. old and beat up, you know. I mean, there was blood stains on it from fights in my house and, yeah. you know, my house is pretty a wreck for a new house, you know. Yeah. I mean, I just <sighs> tore it to pieces, you know. So I'm in that efficiency. Things are getting a little better, but I still want to get high, you know, in the mornings. I pray. Like I tell a lot of the new people, they don't understand about, you know, you got to pray. Prayers work, you know. Yeah. Uh, praying to me is like if you go home, get your sweeper out. Right? Mm-hmm. You got to plug it into the receptacle. Yeah. Okay? You're plugging into the power. Then you got to flip that power switch on. Yeah. That's me and God right there. That's a great that, analogy. That's just like, you know, that's how, you know, I share that a lot of times when I speak at meetings, you know. And I'm so grateful for God. That's if awesome. it was, I know my mom's prayers. Uh, at the meetings, like before the serenity prayer, we always say a moment of silence for the still sick, suffering alcoholics yeah. and addicts. Before the Lord's prayer, moment of silence. I know all damn prayers got me where I'm at. 
reading a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, going to meetings, mm-hmm. put God back in my life. You know, it was up to me yeah. and him to connect again. You know, yeah. and it was it was hard to connect, but you know, uh, so my sponsor, I'm getting off of probation March of '08. March 26th, I knew my three years were up. So 10 days, two weeks before that, my sponsor and his wife, they went to Arizona to see his sister. So I was good at tearing my fourth step up and that. So he said, when I get back on the 26th and you're done at the courthouse, we're going to sit down and we're going to do step five. That's, you know, him... And me going over my okay. first step that I write out on paper. I said, fine, you know. So they're on vacation. I'm going to meetings. And uh, I talked to him the night before. It was about 10.06 p.m. Tuesday night, March 25th. He was about uh, there just a tad over four hours from Uriksville. Okay. It was in between Dayton and Columbus, something like that, in that area, closer okay. to Dayton. So last words I ever told that man was I loved him, and then were his last words to me. I got a, I didn't hear my phone ring at 2.06 a.m. in the morning, but it was his wife. Then another guy from the fellowship called, I didn't hear their messages until about 5.30 in the morning. Usually I'd hear my phone because it was someone calling, wanting to just talk to somebody. Yeah. They were struggling, you know. And I listened to that message, his wife's first one. It took my whole voicemail up. He's dead, he's dead, he's dead, he's dead, you know, because he already drove 19 hours when I talked to him. I said, man, pull in the rest there and get a motel, you know. But you had to know him. He loved coffee, and he'd get all yeah. tweaked out on the caffeine buzz. And uh, the next one was, uh, he don't mind if I use his name, Ralph Furby. Uh, he said, Huck, you get this message. He said, you call me, you know. And I'm already crying because feelings, I was getting feelings, you know. Yeah. And I didn't have to numb him, you know. Reality was coming. Because when my, I could always numb feelings. When my dad passed away, I didn't shed a tear, you know. I got arrested at my dad's calling hours. I was handcuffed and shackled because I tore the funeral home apart. And I ain't proud of that stuff. But So Ralph said, when you get this, uh, he said, we're down at your old house. Come down, you know. So I hit my knees, did my prayers, I read three meditation books in the morning, and I do my meditation, and I took a shower. I went down, and, you know, I still got the tears coming out, you know, because I lost a good person that was helping me, you know. It was for real, you know. This was reality. I got to see what feelings really were, you know, and. It was about 10 till 8. I was like, I got to go. I got to go sign off on uh, my probation. I'm going to be free. And Ralph and Bobby's his wife, and they got many, they got over 30 years sobriety Mm -hmm. now. But uh, they said, Are you coming back? I said, I'll be back, you know. 
they all had their doubts, you know. So I go to the court, I walk in, they met my sponsor. He went with me three or four times down there. And that Jared, like I said, he was younger, you know. He had the test cup, did pee in, and <laughs> I came out, and it was all good. Then he held the breathalyzer, and they were hoping I was dirty to throw me another year, you know, because they knew that would be the only thing that saved me. But I was clean, and... My phone's ringing, my cell phone, and it's people from the fellowship. And I'm answering it because they ain't my contacts yet, you know. And yeah. I'm like, how'd you get my phone number, you know? And they're like, where are you at? Are you okay? And I'm like, I'm in the courthouse. What'd you do? I'm getting <laughs> off of probation, you know. I had like five people call me. So I signed off, you know, and I was free, you know. I wasn't tied up in the court system no more. And, uh, you know, I had every opportunity. I had every reason to pick a drink and a drug up that day. I lost my sponsor. I got off of probation. Let's celebrate, you know. I went back to my old house, you know, and sat with two old-timers, you know. And that's the day Alcoholics Anonymous got me. Okay. I didn't get Alcoholics Anonymous, you know. Uh, me and Ralph was sitting out on that deck where I fired that gun. And that's when he said, well, Huck, this is Wednesday night. He said, tomorrow night, Danny was going to go to the jail. He said, I'm taking you to the jail, to the Tuscarawas County Jail to do the 12-step meeting. He said, then it's all on you. And that's mm -hmm. how I started doing that, you know. So, like I said, God has a plan for everything, Absolutely. you know. So by 6 o'clock at night, I had my third sponsor. Okay. And he was real good friends with Danny and that. So I got him at night at the Wednesday night meeting. Uh, the funeral and everything was that Saturday. That Monday, I drove to Bolivar. That's where my new sponsor lived. I got at his house 7 o'clock in the morning. We uh, started at step one. I did one, two, three, four, five. Then after we did five, my went over my inventory because that sponsor, Danny, didn't get to do it with me. I kept okay. telling him. He knew pretty much my whole, you know, baggage and that. But we sat down when we did that fifth step. I felt a big release off of me, you know, like I could breathe better, you know. I was free. There wasn't a, there wasn't a big weight on me. Then we did six and seven. About six is uh, your character defects. Everybody's got character <laughs> defects. And seven's about your shortcomings. Them two steps there, we work on them every day of our life. You know, it don't matter how much yeah. clean time. Like that Joe had had 60 years. He's the one, you know, he showed me a lot of Alcoholics Anonymous. So Russ is my sponsor. We go through the steps. Takes me through the big book, and uh, we go through the 12 steps, and uh, we all kicked it, me, him, and some of his other sponsees, and some of his other sponsees, man. I knew they were getting high, but, you know, it wasn't my side of the street yeah. to, you know, say, hey, these guys are, you know. So I just kind of faded away from that table and went off by myself. And the old timers, 
just in Tuscarawas County, you know, they'd see me sitting by myself, and they're like, what's up, Huck? How you doing? I'd say, I'm okay, you know. Then finally, you know, a couple of them sat down with me, what's really going on, you know. And I, so I shared, you know, I said, I need a new sponsor, you know. These guys are doing him wrong in that, and I ain't getting involved in it, you know, end up fighting somebody. Right. So uh, my sponsor became Tom Gantz. He's a spiritual giant. I still got him today. I've had him now for probably a good 12 and a half years. Okay. Because I had Danny for 10 and a Russ not quite a year. So then Tom came in and had to do a new fourth and fifth step with him. So he knew about me and that. And he's like, I'm going to take you to the penitentiaries. <laughs> and that's how I got going, doing the penitentiary meetings and that, you know. And I love doing that stuff, you know. Uh, I've took guys through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, I sponsor guys. Some's willing to do it. Some's willing not to yeah. do it. You know, I've had sponsees that weren't willing to do the steps couple of them ended up in prison. One's still in prison today. I've had two of them had overdosed and died. Mm-hmm. Of course, that's where I met you at the one, yeah. the Joe Memorial. Yeah. Oh, Jojo. And I'm sure you've also seen a lot of people recover, too. Yeah, I've seen lots of people recover. Uh, coming up on 14 years, I've seen people from... Two days sobriety to over 32 years sobriety. Go back out. I got all their cards in my big book and 12 and 12 book from their obituaries. I'm so sorry. Or they choose to, there's, I just count them the other day and there's 90 of them in the book. So you figure an old timer seen a lot more than I've seen, you know. And with the pandemic, we went through meetings shutting down people, you know. Isolation's horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I I had the tools, you know. There's days, though, you know, I could get caught up in my head, you know, but I got to pick the phone up and tell somebody where I'm at, you know. It's just <coughs> scary because I can see, you know, when you have that longevity, you have a little more perspective. Oh, but yeah. for someone that was new in recovery yeah. in the pandemic, yeah. and like you said, knowing 90 yeah. people yeah. or 20 people. Yeah. You got to make it hard because oh, yeah. your former way was just numb it, so you yeah, don't have to deal yeah, with it. Numb so. it, and you don't deal with it. Yeah, like, processing that just yeah. is completely overwhelming. Like you know, I thought, what's life going to be like sober? You know. Yeah, I bet it's scary, huh? It was in the beginning. Now you know, it's just they have Founders Day every year. You know, they rent Akron University, Akron, Ohio, is where Alcoholics Anonymous started. You okay. know, like. This year here, I think it's going to be 87. It was canceled last year. It's already canceled this year because of the pandemic. I you know. know. But, I mean, I got to do damn things, you know, go to that and see, you know, 30,000 recovered people, wow. you know, sitting in a big stadium, you know, listen to a speaker, you know, and, you just get them God bumps. I don't yeah. call them goosebumps no more. They're God bumps, you know. And going to the meetings, seeing that new person walk in, you know. 
and greeting them, you know, shaking their hands. So what do you just say to anyone that just isn't ready to go yet, you know, to, to make someone feel like, man, this is a game changer, or it can be? The new ones, you know, usually when they come strolling in, you know, they feel like me, my sponsor with 33 years, you know, when our we walked in our first meeting, yeah. scared. What are you? What are we getting into? Yeah. You know, and then you get all these people coming to you, shaking your hand. Hi, I'm Huck. I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict, and you know they don't know what's going on because I had people do that to me, and I was scared. You yeah. know, I was like, Sister. <laughs> you know. Then you got some old guys. They just want to hug you, and I. When I first came in, I said, homie, don't play that, you know, <laughs> don't be, you know. Then you got, here, I'm going to give you my phone number. What do I want a guy's phone, you know. Right, right. But them Whole phone, new way of life, huh? Them phone numbers will save your life, you know. I could open my phone and show you over 400 people's wow. names, and it's got AA beside them. Uh, I do a lot of AA meetings, you know. Uh, I spoke speak at a lot of the meetings. I do CA meetings, which is Cocaine Anonymous. I've spoke at HA meetings, Heroin Anonymous, you know. I mean, we, all the meetings use the big book of Alcoholics okay. Anonymous, you know. I mean, I know people go to NA, and I'm cool with that, you know. I just choose not to yeah. do the NA meetings, you know, because... Mm -hmm. I'm locked in on the book I got, yeah. you know. I know that book. I've studied the book with some wonderful people who took yeah. me through that book, you know. And I just, you know, they always told me if it's not broke, don't fix it, you know. Makes a lot of sense. And, you know, today, man, life's great, you know. I mean. You got that 14-year-old granddaughter? Yeah, she's going to be 14, you know, and it's just like, you know, softball be. And I'll be sitting at Dover Park on uh, Sundays watching her play. You know, mm -hmm. if I was in full-blown addiction, you know. Uh, in recovery, I lost my mom May uh, 1st of 2015. Mm -hmm. She uh, seen me get my two-year medallion because when I speak, I always play with it, you know. And uh, So what a gift. She got to see you She seen me well. two years, you know, and... By the time my third year comes, she didn't even know who I was from dementia and all the time. Oh. But I got to go to her house every weekend, make her breakfast, and make her lunch. That's something I get to do. You yeah. know? I mean, it was, you know, thanks to Alcoholics Anonymous and them old timers, you know. Then her last would have been about 15 months, she ended up in the nursing home. Okay. And uh, I got to go there every day at noon and feed her lunch, you know. Then I, I'd take her in her wheelchair. Then there was old women I thought had passed away at seeing me grow up, you know. So I got to push him to wow, the, neat. you know, it's about helping others, not just, you know, alcoholics and addicts in the community, you know, neighbors, you know. And serving others really that's does make something it. something I never thought I'd do. Yeah. The only thing I served to others was drugs because I was a drug dealer, you know. You that's, never realized you would be a value to yeah, the Yeah, that's what I went to others. prison for, selling dope, you know. I mean, 
I had, you know, three counts of aggravated trafficking and cocaine, you know, when I was 32 years old. And, you know, that wasn't helping people, you know. That was poisoning people, you know. I understand that today, but I don't live like that today, you know. Life is is good. Awesome, huh? Huck, it's just, I really appreciate you sharing your story um, because I think anyone can hear 32 felonies and here you are, a new creation yeah. as far as yeah. helping others, breathing in, yeah. serving, doing life. Yeah. Um, you know, honestly, it's just an honor to know you. Oh, yeah. It's like, you know, I worked in the recovery yeah. field, you know, and I remember when I got ready to get hired for that, you know who I'm talking yeah. about. I ain't going to mention her name on here, but she's like, Huck, are you going to pass that background check? <laughs> I was like, yeah, because I already knew I would because I've, I've checked them out myself. Yeah. Like my three felony ones, they're expunged. I had to pay a lot of money okay. back in the day, you know. So them are sealed until the only way them can come out, which ain't going to come out today, I'll right. tell you that. I'd have to get busted for selling some yeah. kind of drugs, you know. Yeah, yeah. But the rest of mine, were they were just like, you know, Felony fives, fours, fives, misdemeanor ones, you know. That stuff, you know, after seven years disappeared, you know, and I get a clean record, you know. Just uh, working at the recovery house didn't work, you know. So I just, I had to get away, you know, because my sobriety, God is number one to me. Sobriety is number two because without them two things, you're going to read my name in the front page paper or in the obituaries, you know, the front page would say Huck's going to the penitentiary for the rest of his life mm. or something, you know. That's why I got to keep God number one, sobriety number two, go to meetings, help other alcoholics and that, you know, do stuff like this when people ask, you yeah. got to give it away to keep it, you know. Yeah. Give it away freely to keep it, you know. Uh I ain't anonymous, you know. Some people's anonymous. They don't want people to know, oh, I'm in Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm in cocaine. If you if you hide, people in the community ain't going to know, you know. It says right on my profile page of Facebook, you know, Hope Dealer, you know. Then it says real big capital letters, I'm not anonymous, you yeah. know. Because that's how, you, you know. I've had people who hit me up on Messenger and I don't even know, like parents, you know. Hey, you know, and I connect with them, become friends, and eventually I give them my phone number. They call my son's doing this, doing that, you know. I mean, I've seen some things that reminded me of my past. I've seen people lose their kids to overdoses, you know. I mean, it's just, it's just. Wicked, you know. The demons are out there, you know. I mean. Well, I appreciate you telling your story. And I think the one thing we can, well, a lot of things we can walk away with. But the one is there is hope. There is hope. Any meeting you go to at AA, if it's a speaker meeting, they got the podium or the speaker. It always got the sign, hope is found here, take it with you. And that's where I found my hope. And I'll be forever grateful for it. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank, Thank you, you for, for having me. Just letting people know um, about AA, the power and faith. Um, and I'm going to just continue to plug. We have a hope line here now in Tuscarawas County that you can call 
at any time and someone's going to meet you right where you're at and get you connected to the right services and resources or connect you with a peer recovery support and you can find Huck. I know he's always at any available. Meeting as well. Monday, Sunday night, Monday, Thursday, Friday, I'm in a meeting. Jody's got my phone number. If anybody needs it, she can you can give it to anybody at Intel. Thanks, Huck. I appreciate that. Thanks so much for sharing your story. Hey, thanks for having me. It was great to hear. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Tuscarawas County Anti-Drug Coalition podcast. Please follow us on Facebook and visit our website at adctusk.org.